Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. And welcome to episode 224 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of January 2018, and our Daikaiju discussion double-take or rediscussion. I definitely have not come up with a good name for these, but our Daikaiju discussion again for Godzilla vs. Gigan. Now, if you've not listened to the Kaiju Cast for a really long time, we started the Daikaiju discussions way back in 2010. And actually, Godzilla vs. Gigan was like one of our very first discussions. Really early in the process, I don't think I had even honed it to the dull point that it is right now in terms of asking the people in the studio what they liked, didn't like, what they suggested, etc. So I didn't listen to the whole thing. I only listened to just a little bit. Actually, enough to hear Baby Tiger talk about what he did and didn't like about Godzilla vs. Kaigen, which is pretty amusing. Episode 15, I believe, if you're curious. Anyway, since we exhausted our original list of movies and even added on to those some films, we're looking again at some classics that were requested by the listeners. And of course, we whittled that list down to movies that we'd actually like to watch as well. Now, not only do we have the Daikaiju discussion for Godzilla vs. Gigan, we're also going to be covering some news, some catastrophic events, and some housekeeping items, so make sure you stick around through the end of the show, especially so you can hear all of that goodness. And speaking of goodness, I can't think of any better way to start off this episode's music tracks than playing Defeat Gigan by Susumu Ishikawa from the Monster King Godzilla disc. よれた空から生まれた怪獣かたいの子にからだにつけたそのままにくいガイガンガイガン迎えるつのは僕らのゴジラ だけど負けない僕らのゴジラ地球のために正義のために戦う僕らの大きなゴジラ
said that track was called Defeat Geigen, which was a song that was written, performed, and recorded uh, for this film, for Godzilla vs. Geigen, in the 70s. Now, what you might notice sometimes is that a lot of fads will actually touch Godzilla movies and the sort of Godzilla genre. And so Godzilla vs. Geigen, and even to some extent some of the other surrounding movies, had several songs written about the monsters by current pop stars or like sometimes they're, I don't know, they might just be people that write theme songs. There's a dude named uh, Masato Shimon and he did a lot of theme songs. And if I remember correctly, he actually did a whole bunch of other tokusatsu stuff as well. So this is the kind of fad I'm talking about. It's not like, I don't think it's anything different than what you see uh, with the Godzilla anime having some pop star named Zia or XIA or whatever. <laughs> I think it's basically the same thing, but it, it was happening back in the 70s, which I think is pretty awesome. Anyway, so we played that song. And of course... Once again, class, that brings us to our Daikaiju discussion. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes a look at one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. I have here in the studio with me, Mr. Clancy Peterson. Hi, Kyle, and all you uh, awesome listeners out there. Wow, buttering them up already. I love it. Uh, he's going to be the favorite. <laughs> I already can tell. Gretchen Brooks is here. Hi. And Rachel Cook is back. Hi. And uh, we literally just finished watching Godzilla vs. Gigan, and we are going to talk about it in just a second. But what I thought I'd do first is, instead of starting with asking you guys some things uh, about having seen the movie first and so forth, I thought we could talk a little bit about the production of this film. This film was made in 1972. It was definitely when Toho was on the outs with having a budget for anything. So mm. we see a lot of stock footage from other movies going as far back as like probably going as far back as Rodan, if not just 1964's Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. 
This movie has pretty much nobody you're going to see in almost any of the other Godzilla stuff. Uh, Jin Shimizu is a military commander that has been used in some Toho films. Uh, so he might seem familiar to you, especially if you saw him as Methuselah in Space Giants. Anyway, he plays a small role in this film. None of the main characters are in any of the other Godzilla films, um, except for, and this is not Godzilla, but Ultra 7, Yuriko Hishimi, who plays the karate-kicking Mamegan in this movie. <laughs> she plays Anne in Ultra 7, and she is a beautiful goddess. Anyway, uh, moving on, we're going to go ahead and say this is the third movie that this Godzilla suit was used for, if you did not already know that. It started out in 1968's Destroy All Monsters, then was reused. Oh my gosh, this is the fourth movie. Fourth movie. So Destroy All Monsters, All Monsters Attack, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, and then the death knoll for this suit was Godzilla vs. Gigan. This also is the last time Haruo Nakajima ever played Godzilla. Isn't that sad? That is sad. Mm, yeah, it's definitely sad, although it is kind of uh, nice that it's a pairing of... Nakajima with Satsuma playing yes, Gigan, of for course, sure. for yeah. the next stage. Well, the next person to at least play. Yeah, in the next era, it, yeah. at least, yeah. Yeah, did you know that actually after this, Godzilla is played by a myriad of people from the next like three movies? Like So mm. in Megalon and Mechagodzilla and Terror of Mechagodzilla, different people play Godzilla in each movie. Mm. Oh, I oh, didn't I realize didn't that. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a. It's awesome that he ended it on a high note, though, because this film is so amazing. Oh, I love like, oh, so I love it. perfect. Yeah. I mean, if you have not listened to it, listeners, Rachel and I, along with Brian and Jeff, talked for quite a long time about Godzilla versus Gigan. I think it was our best commentary we've ever done. So, mm-hmm. uh, filled with lots of good information, except one fact that I need to actually sort of like vocalize a retraction on right now on the show. I've actually been waiting for a really good opportunity to do this because I didn't want to go back and edit the actual commentary. But uh, it would be hard. Apparently. Uh, so what happened is, you know, when it wasn't really super available, I would listen to the Megalon commentary quite a lot. And so with Megalon, uh, that was the f- only commentary that had been done by Steve Rifle and Company that actually had Geigen in the movie. So I was looking for any kind of information about Geigen in the commentary for Megalon. In that commentary, Steve and uh, Stuart posit that Shigeru Mizuki, the guy who did Gegege no Gitaro and was essentially the sort of, not creator, but the originator of the yokai boom in the 60s, which is the reason we even got like these 1960 Dai films. Like, it's all because of Mizuki. Anyway... Mm. I said mistakenly that Mizuki designed Gigan. And so that was one of those things that when we said it, I was like, God, I hope this is right. Cause I really hope that Steven Stewart did their homework. I think they misinterpreted something because I asked for a little clarification because Zach Davison worked with Shigeru Mizuki. And so I asked if he could like legitimize that. Did Mizuki design Gigan? And so what he told me is that no. He did not design Gigan, but Gigan was designed off of a creature, a yokai creature that Mizuki did called the Anmoraki. And uh, apparently that creature has gold and green kimono robes 
folded back and forth. So that's the origin story, I guess, of the actual design. And so now I finally feel so much better that I've shared that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's go ahead and listen to the trailer and then we'll get into our discussion. From beyond the stars come the most fearsome monsters in the galaxy. Only Godzilla stands in their way in Godzilla on Monster Island. Is even Godzilla strong enough to defeat the invaders? Matching unbelievable strength. Exchanging incredible death-dealing rays. Don't miss Godzilla on Monster Island. So first up, who here knew that Godzilla, this movie was released in the Americas called Godzilla on Monster Island? I don't think I had ever seen that before uh, I became a Godzilla nerd, at least. I didn't know that going into it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I... I I knew I know it now, but I, yeah. I don't know when I learned that information. But yeah, I'm it's aware. one of those things like when I started buying Godzilla movies on VHS tapes that this movie was already Godzilla versus Gigan. Yeah. So the whole Godzilla on Monster Island thing that was apparently from Cinema Shares. They created that as part of their marketing campaign for this movie, which I guess not a lot of people saw in the theater. Uh, who here had never seen this movie before? We'd all seen Godzilla vs. Gigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Right. Of course, because we're back at the Godzilla movies, thank yes. God. Zilla. So, uh, how, okay, Clancy, <laughs> how many times have you seen Godzilla vs. Gigan? Well, I mean, I can't give it an exact count, but um, I did start tracking the films that I watch as I've been getting more into just collecting Blu-rays and whatnot. And I mean, I think I've recorded, since I started tracking in the last, three years I've watched this like five times. I mean, I just, it's a good call. I absolutely call. love, I mean, I enjoy the 70s stuff completely, but this definitely is a fun one to throw on quite a bit. I think this is my favorite 70s movie for sure. Um, so Gretchen, how about you? How many times do you think you've seen Godzilla vs. Gigan? Mm, I'd say probably about seven or so times nice yeah See, this is one of those movies it's like it's got everything that i love in kaiju movies so it's easy for me to put it on and just kind of have in the background rachel yeah i want to say actually like sitting it from start like watching it start to finish probably five or six times but the it is a movie that in our house we do just throw it on in the background mm-hmm. like we're cleaning or whatnot and so i'm sure i've seen pieces of it way more times than oh, that yeah, yeah but it's just because it's so solid there's so many fun bits that it's just great to you know sit there and get distracted for a little bit and then get back to whatever you're doing so. i'm trying to think like now how many movies there are that i would do that with and Geigen is absolutely one of them like mm-hmm. monster zero destroy all monsters like the big classics those are the ones that i feel like if i just walked into a room that's already playing it and something's happening on screen i'll be like oh fuck, yeah man, i love this shot yes right. and then then move along mm-hmm. to my uh, other stuff i mean for me Oh, my God. I've probably seen this movie in the, well, definitely under 100 times. But, I mean, I've seen it a bunch. Like, we're definitely in the tens. The group's probably maybe under 50 times, but, like, right around there. It's not It's not something that I hold up as, like, the best Godzilla movie or my favorite Godzilla movie. But this movie is definitely up there for me. Godzilla vs. Gigan, like I just kind of said has so much in it that I want in a Godzilla movie. It's got aliens, it's got multiple monsters, it's got lots of destruction, lots of fire, lots of Godzilla monster fighting action. Like, Mm -hmm. as much as I love Monster Zero, it's definitely lacking in the Godzilla action. 
But not yeah. Geigen. This movie has uh, so much going for it. What do you guys like best about Geigen? Not the monster, but the movie. What do you yeah. like best about the movie? Um, well, there's two things that I usually point to for like why this one stands above some of the other ones in the 70s era. And uh, one of the big ones is definitely the fact that the main character, at least outside of the monster action, would be that the main character in this film is a cartoonist, an artist. Yeah. Um, I grew up loving to draw. Um, and it's kind of a talent that I stopped working on around like the first year of college and I didn't really keep developing it, huh. but like, as I say, that's sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole nother podcast um, <laughs> and there's always time to go back to it. But, uh, but anyway, I mean, I just always love the fact that the main character in a Godzilla film is just like drawing monsters and doing exactly what I love to do. Yeah. It's like just make totally, up these right? non Godzilla yeah. type monsters. Um, I just always thought it was great. And even as an adult, I still think it's great. He, and I mean, he, he's also just a great character mm-hmm. and uh, personality. <laughs> I, I love watching him. Gengo. Um, Genchan. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> and then, uh, and then just to, again, tie it to just like some of the reasons, like the way that it touches me or uh, touches me, <laughs> <laughs> the way that I relate to it just from like a young age type, enjoying these type of things yeah. would definitely be the, um, connection to like pro wrestling, which is another thing that I was into as a kid. And just like that whole tag team action that you got going on between Gigan Ghidra versus, uh, Godzilla Angulus and just even down to just like some of these pro wrestling moves, like, come on, Angulus, just like, let's, let's go. And yeah. smashes <laughs> into Ghidra. It's like, again, you know, I loved it as a kid and it just doesn't, it doesn't ever really leave. Like I'm mm-hmm. watching it now. I get just as excited watching those fights as if I was just like a little kid and yeah. I could just keep watching it over and over again. That's a really great one to keep watching over and over again. I, I wonder if those, like I was, I was saying Kaiju body language and mm-hmm. we were talking about the, the moves that they were sort of like posing in uh, a, a friend of mine in college said that he felt that that was like some sort of language that someone could maybe study and like <laughs> figure out what those poses mean. Like obviously one of them like, is like, come at me, bro. You know, yeah, <laughs> right. you know, like what do those other ones mean? So I'm sure one was a mating dance. We just don't know. But <laughs> that, uh, I wonder if those actually got their origins from wrestling. That seems like that would not be too far of a stretch. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert when it comes to Japanese pro wrestling, mm-hmm. but I, I do know that, it was immensely popular over there as well. And it still is. There's still like um, plenty of people from around the world that go over to Japan to wrestle in current circuits mm-hmm. and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. And I do believe that it was pretty uh, popular already in the seventies over there. So again, somebody could eat, obviously someone else could speak better to it connection to the film. Well, luckily um, we have a wrestling expert with us. Gretchen, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Only I mean, unless about, you are, if I you're, mean, I, I don't want to assume. I grew up in the South. I mean, <laughs> Junkyard Dog, Rowdy Piper. <laughs> yeah. Except yeah. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper's from here. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I have, what, I, what did I have? I had, um, oh, what's his name? Ric Flair. No, besides Ric Flair, besides um, Pretty Boy. It's uh, Jerry Fall. <laughs> Jerry Lawler. 
That's what it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry. All right. Moving anyway, on. So, so anyway, you've seen this movie before. What is it you, that you love about Gigan? What is is there anything about this movie that you think elevates it above other kaiju movies? I love the Kafka-esque references for the people being um, cockroaches. Cockroaches, yes. 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 Um, the deeper meaning the behind deeper meaning those. meaning is that. Besides, like, the planet message, making sure that you're t- treating your world better. Yes. Since they couldn't treat their world better, <laughs> they had to rob ours. Classic hammered home <laughs> message, like, ham-fisted right in your face. Well, yes, not to mention I that, get it. Like, reuse sludge from Hedora. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like, like we said, like, the stock footage. Actually, let's talk about the stock footage for a second. I mean, a lot of people point that out as being one of the negatives about oh, that's this a good film. Thing. Oh, no, I, I love like, it. Great. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, yeah. in terms of, like, trying to shoot new stuff, I can understand if you could identify the stock footage when you first saw the movie, it might have, you know, a damaging impact. But for me, this was, for the most part, this was the first time I had seen any of that stuff. Sure. Or if I had seen it, I didn't see it close enough or didn't pay enough attention to notice that it was stock footage in this film it's only now as an uber nerd adult kaiju fiend that i'm like yes that came from Ghidra the three-headed monster and that part was from destroy all monsters yeah i know all that stuff because of watching those movies over and over again but at the time the first time i saw godzilla versus gigan i did not care at all everything looked new to me at the time well you're also talking about like an era and i know they would reshow stuff in theaters and whatnot mm-hmm. but you're talking a pre-vhs era where totally, like yeah. this is 72 japan 78 i think for the u.s but it's like so i'm not saying that there weren't those you know uber nerds back then too sure, that immediately yeah, yeah. knew what it was from but it still wasn't the same where you hadn't watched definitely fewer and further exactly, between yeah, for and, sure yeah and you're just like happy to just watch i mean some of the stock footage in this is a little more jarring isn't the right word but it's like too obvious right yeah where where you have all of a sudden the color changes and it's very much easily identifiable identifiable as an earlier suit Mm. um i mean it still doesn't bother me yeah but (laughs) but it stands out more but yeah i mean i i don't think it was as big of a deal back then when it was actually being released versus you know, in an era where we get to just watch stuff mm-hmm. thousands of times, well, hundreds of times, whatever. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, that wasn't what it was intended was intended to happen. Right. And, you know, talking about that kind of thing later on in life, Terry Oshinakano, the special effects director for this movie, uh, and then several other movies going forward, he said, like, basically, Toho has built up this library of special effects shots that get used in tons of different movies all throughout their history. So for him at the time when they're struggling with the budget, yeah, of course they're going to go like, Oh, you know, I think I got a really great shot of a highway on fire from three movies back. (laughs) You know, we could just re splice that in there. I think in this movie specifically, they try to use that footage smartly or they tr- yeah. you know they do their best i know they did a lot of like day for night changes with yeah. color correction but overall i feel like you know they said well how can we have these uh maser tanks firing on angulus oh well let's just reuse that footage from war of the gargantuas you know <laughs> and mm-hmm. like i think that's a, a bold choice it's unfortunate that they had, that they had to do it but uh i say a lot of times about these movies I think that they're doing the best that they can with what they've got. 
And I think mm-hmm. that is definitely why we see so much stock footage here. Yeah, I think I see it as something kind of fun, like it's a fun clip show of my favorite movies. Like, <laughs> you know, that's why I kind of get a kick out of it. Like, it's just, <laughs> that's how I don't know. I've heard that uh, that in reference to Godzilla's Revenge many oh, times. Oh, okay, yeah, sure, yeah. The The other one I was thinking of is the Gamera Super Monster. Yes, it's kind of feels like that, too, where you're just like, I love all this. This is great. So, yeah, I I enjoy it. And I think that... I've come to either be used to it or just expect it in a lot of Godzilla films. And to me, it is, it's kind of like watching also, you know, a clip show of all of the effects work where you're like, this is all of our best stuff, you guys. Let's keep using it because it turned out so good. Or we blew it up so much that we can't reuse this. (laughs) You know, so it's like, this is all we've got. (laughs) Let's replay this. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one of the my favorite things about Geigen is uh, is his design. But overall, like, despite the time period it was made, it's such a positive, has such a positive imprint in my brain that I, it's it's hard for me to actually criticize it. It's actually much easier for me to talk about the many, 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 many things I love about it. Um, and again, that would be Geigen's design is my favorite. What, what's your favorite aspect of his design? Well, I got to say the juxtaposition of those green, sort of the green skin and the golden scales, there's Mm -hmm. something really cool about the way that they've designed that with the sort of like swooping lines that you don't see in anything natural. And it's very cool. And, uh, you know, honestly, I love everything about him and his, the fact that he doesn't have hands and feet. He has claws yeah. you know, big giant claws on his hands that those are his hands right those so bananas are his hands right <laughs> bananas. <laughs> um so that's something we were talking about while watching the movie do you think that they're more like talons like they're just pointy sharp ends or do you see them as sharp like samurai swords okay so i actually don't see them as samurai swords but there's another like ninja weapon that's like a sickle, like it's a farming you. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah. So that's what I sort of see them as. Is they're supposed to look, oh. look like sickles. And while they're not bladed in this 1972 film, if you look at what they did in, nine, sorry, if you look at what they did in 2004 for Final Wars, mm-hmm. the very first time he comes back, those sickles are definitely blades with edges and oh, they're yeah. huge, you know. So that's I think. Right. I think that they're supposed to be sharp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well as being used for hooks, which are just like what those sickle things are. Right. Do you think they grow out like fingernails where he has to get them clipped? Or do you think he just, you know, they stay the same size? Or scratch them down like a cat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That scr- works too. Scratch them down. Like On a the cat. Godzilla yeah. Tower. That's yeah. what it really is. Giant just, cat toy. <laughs> you know, remember when we did the commentary, I read uh, Chris Mowry's treatment for a Geigen story where he said that. Geigen was originally from this one planet and these aliens got him to do these like uh, like pit battles. And then after every time he won, he'd get a piece of him like replaced cybernetically until oh, he basically was more more machine now than yeah. whatever alien he was. And yeah, it's just a cool concept. And I I'm so on board with it. I actually don't want to like come up with any other ideas yes. for it. Like it, the idea it. that Geigen is just like this heartless monster that has replaced piece after piece of him with cybernetic technology is good. such a cool idea. So, so. pretty good. Well done, Maori. Well done. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about some things that we didn't like about it. What What were some of the least favorite parts about Geigen? Clancy? I, I mean, I don't really have any major negatives about the film. Um, 
I just love watching it. But at the same time, I mean, I guess if I have to pick one and this is just, it was the reality of what was going on at the time. Obviously the budgets were being cut. Mm -hmm. I am, I imagine, I mean, I I don't imagine, I mean, if they could actually have put some of the resources that they got to put into the earlier films, I, I would think that they could put out like an even more superior product. Um, it would have been nice if that strong, you know, kaiju movie watching thing, it would have kept going and, mm -hmm. um, stupid TV. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but again, I mean, I know that you say that kind of stuff and that, that changes what it is. Mm -hmm. So this movie exists because of the limitations that were put on them. I completely agree. So yes. I don't know that that would have made a better movie, but you know, I, Again, that's really all I can point to because, I, yeah, I really, at the end of the day, I don't think it would change anything. So there really isn't anything that I Great don't answer. like about the film. Mm -hmm. Great answer. Great answer. How about you, Gretchen? I mean, same. I mean, the only thing I would really complain about was like, I was the sad state of that poor King Kira. Um, his like <laughs> face and stuff just looks so yeah, bad. He's beat up. Gidra's beat up in this really, movie, yeah. He looks rough. Like when they do a far away shot, I was like, oh, it's so sparkly and gold. And then close up, it's like, ah, like it's just terrifying. When you see him up front, you're like, you're oh. up closer. You're just like, ooh, ooh. Ghidra does not have health insurance. No. They beat him up after <laughs> destroy all monsters and send him on his way. And he was not able to get his jacked face fixed. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> that would be my only complaint. Well, so what we could say is a little bit better upkeep of the Ghidra suit. Yeah, I wish yeah. they just taking a little bit better care of the puppets i mean for the most part they all had a kind of their own wear and tear on them and yeah the puppet the, the marionette the mobile yes. the suits every yeah <laughs> yeah it's unfortunate it, it really is that um that they couldn't keep everything as nice as we would have liked but yeah. yeah i mean like clancy said limitation like i can't even imagine what the budgets look like comparatively like if you were working there in 1971 72 and you came into work and you're looking at the production budget and you're just like, oh, my gosh, like three years ago, it was double this or something right. like that, you know, like because even because the next movie, Godzilla vs. Megalon, has it even worse, I think. So, oh man, uh, but it anyway. So uh, how about you, Rachel? Oh, I I really don't have anything that I could say that I would change on it either. Mm -hmm. I just I love the, you know, human characters are so hilarious and amazing. The hippies are fantastic. That guy and his and his uh, Machiko, who's so adorable <laughs> and just the, everybody's so great in this. And I just I love every aspect of it that I, I really don't have anything. No, that's totally acceptable. Actually, I don't know if I can deal with that. You got to have something. I don't know. I know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I just, I guess maybe, maybe they went a little bit too long on Godzilla and Angulus water scene. I feel like they're <laughs> swimming for a long time. Okay, they could have right. cut, cut a little bit of that. And Thank then, you for and at then, least choosing one thing. I have one other slight gripe. The... When Godzilla and Angulus are talking to each other and it's a... That noise is kind of annoying, but it's, I kind of like the idea of it though. So it's a love hate thing where I'm like, I love that they're talking to each other. That's amazing. But why the weird, like, noise? Record scratch noise? Yeah. I, that's kind of like, I don't, and then 
they, you know, in the Japanese, when you're not getting any language there, you're not getting any translation. Oh, I think you know? in the original, it actually had oh, it does? word bubbles yeah, over like, part, part of it. But oh, we're watching this as like a reconstruct, not reconstructed, but it wasn't, Remastered? I think, I don't think it was fully a Japanese print because it, okay. it has to work for both. You know what I mean? Yeah, so like yeah. the, the visuals have to work for both the right. English dub and the Japanese language. But like, okay. But where like the American version, I think it straight up has that augmented English language. Yes. Isn't it just in the original Japanese? They just straight up put word. I think there's word balloons text. with like little manga. So it's still there. nonsense huh. language. Oh. So if you watch the trailer, which is, oh, it's not exactly, you'll language? see it at the very beginning. Well, you'll hear. Okay, so you hear it just mm-hmm. like we heard it. Yeah. So we watched it's the Japanese the, language version. Scr- so scratching. you hear like a weird kind of like record scratchy sound, but then on screen in the Japanese version, what I'm assuming from the trailer mm-hmm. is that they actually had word balloons on okay. the screen huh. that the kids would read. Well, it is the kids once again saying. linking it back to manga. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Right. Which I don't know if I'd like that or not. I don't know. Well, yeah, just, it, but if you sound. check out the trailer, I mean, it'll give you an, an example of, or you'll yeah. you can see what it looks like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, that was good. Okay. That's, that's yeah. That's yeah. all I've got. I mean, that was like kind of so annoying. Minor, you know? but yeah, yeah, yeah and little, I really little tiny nitpicks, right? Like yeah. So my negative aspects, uh, I just say. Yuriko Hishimi just was not on screen long enough. No, I honestly, I think this is like Clancy said, it's one of those movies that don't really want to change. Um, I guess I would say that if anything, maybe it would have been nice to have some original music, but did you guys know about that? You know about yeah. that, Rachel. Like this, yeah. this soundtrack was not written for this soundtrack. Basically they culled, Akira Ifukabe's music from other movies oh. and created essentially like a best of kaiju Which <laughs> album. Which again, I like. It's cool. Yeah. But you know what's funny now is I've been watching um, more movies outside of the kaiju genre from Japan and some of them have been scored by, uh, by Ifukabe and like Birth of Japan, which is kind of sort of got some kaiju ties to it. That movie... I absolutely heard some of that soundtrack in this movie, and I had never oh, wow. really identified that before. It was kind of interesting to me. That sounds so familiar. I wonder if Brian has said that to me at some point when we watched this. Well, we did, we did mention stuff. Did about, we talk about that, yeah, we in, talked the about that in the commentary? Maybe that's why I'm thinking yeah. of it. For so, the record, I did not listen to our own commentary <laughs> again before uh, recording this. And I did not. I'm like, oh, it's all new information, but that's my memory for you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't listen to it either. I didn't even listen to our old Daikaiju discussion. No. I should have done that. I, I, you know what? I think I'm going to do that for the rest of these so that I can be like, how did I like it back in 2011 when we first watched this movie? You know. Well, and the yeah. one for this is like episode... 15 or something yeah yeah it's really really old who was on that one i know jeff is on it actually i don't have this like solid memory of everything that happened on kaiju cast but um our historian (laughs) (laughs) um i just happened to look it up a couple weeks ago and it looked like it was like five or six people that actually showed up and i know the show notes for it guy was like the biggest episode yet and i know cindy was on there who hasn't been on for a long time jeff Uh sane sane was on sure it was a 
But yeah, I haven't listened to it in a long time. It's going to be really embarrassing if I was on it. I don't think I was. No, no, I think I was just on the commentary, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, that it was earlier on. Yeah, uh, that's funny. I'm actually having trouble finding it. <laughs> I was, I was, that was the perfect amount of time for me to be able to find something. Right. Google. We were stalling. <laughs> you did a really good job of stalling. Can you tell I'm still trying to stall as right. I am searching the internet for this page? Yeah. I'm sure it's in there. The episode I've gone back and listened to the most was the Polgasari one, just because I really enjoy Martin's reaction. <laughs> <laughs> since we held it from him it was great uh, anyway well I don't need to look up that information I guess uh, so let's go move into final thoughts Godzilla versus Gigan. where does this sit with you in terms of showing it to a kaiju newbie would you suggest it to people yeah I would 100% put this up there as one of the first films I showed someone um, I mean I definitely have a soft spot for like the Mecha Godzilla films mm-hmm. and that when mm-hmm. everybody that even if they don't know Godzilla has heard of Mecha Godzilla. So that's a good one, but this one would be in there this, this, or this would definitely be in there because it's just so fun. It's like the great action scenes at the end. Uh, the human aspect of the film is a lot of fun as well. So I think a newbie could easily approach this. And like I've said many times before, I'm just a fan of the fact that these Godzilla films all fall into these different eras. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, depending on what kind of mood I'm in, um, the 70s stuff is really something that I just get a kick out of sitting down and watching. So it's something I definitely would share with people. Excellent. Gretchen. What I absolutely I'd show this to a newbie. I mean, this is this was hysterical and fun, and it's good. It's one of those kind of lighthearted Godzilla films that people who don't know the genre or don't know the other monsters or whatnot, this is a good introduction to them too. No, oh, yeah, very so, very much so. Rachel, what about you? <laughs> yeah, I I think that like I have a nephew that is I don't know six months old now, and when he when my sister comes out here and visits with him that's going to be probably the first film that I show him because I think if anything a little kid's going to love it um adults will too for sure but to start off a kid on Godzilla films I think this is the perfect one because it's funny and it's got tons of monster action and it's just bizarre it's, and if anything for a real young kid it's lots of action lots of things happening that's and true. so yeah yeah so that's great too you but, worried um, about the blood at all how how young is this oh uh, no kid? i mean i'm not gonna this kid needs to be desensitized right away i mean blood i'm not gonna good. do that to my kid. <laughs> i i was sheltered to death growing up and so i don't agree with it at all and so no this kid needs violence in his world <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, and I think kaiju violence is perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what is the warning on screen? <laughs> Godzilla violence. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Yeah, actually, sidebar, like when Tiger was growing up, we'd be talking to other parents and be like, oh, yeah, his favorite movie is Nightmare Before Christmas, and their faces would just like oh, yeah. go... F- what? Yeah, I was not allowed That's to so see that scary. film when I was, I was like, a kid. No, well, it's, teenager. Not. it's not. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so my takeaway, my, my Daikaiju discussion conclusion is that Godzilla vs. Gigan is definitely in my top 10, if not like my top five Godzilla movies. 
Uh, definitely in my top 10 kaiju films, I would say. I mean, this it has so much going for it. I love the story. I, I do actually love the characters. I love all the monsters. There's just so much for me to love about this movie that I can't imagine not suggesting it to anyone at any time at the drop of a hat. So if you have not seen Godzilla vs. Gigan, listeners, you really should check it out. It is available on Blu-ray here in America. Uh, Kraken Releasing put it out a couple of years ago. It's a pretty good-looking transfer. Not a lot of special features, but definitely worth the, I don't know, 15, 20 bucks that it costs to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did get quite a bit of homework in for this. Well done, listeners. Well done. And this is here how that went. Big thanks to everybody who sent in their homework for this particular movie. Apologies in advance for editing some of these, but uh, we did get like a pretty good amount of people. I think 13 people sent in their homework. Joey says his first experience with this film was back in 1998 when he was six. Anchor Bay released a five VHS pack of Godzilla films, including this one. He has fond memories of this one, and he's aware of the flaws. Still, it's a childhood favorite and still entertaining. He gives it three out of five banana hands. Eli says that seeing as how he was born around the time Godzilla 2000 came out. Wow. God, I feel old. Uh, This is one of his all-time favorite Godzilla movies, mostly because he used to rent it from Blockbuster. The stock footage never bothered him when he was little because he never actually knew it was stock footage until about 2007. The whole alien plotline is pure genius, with them being cockroaches from outer space who have escaped a polluted planet. and They want to come to our planet, which in the year 1972 probably wasn't much better than what they had, uh, and take it over. The monster action is awesome. The characters are wacky and fun and everything you could want in a Showa-era Godzilla movie. Eli is also requesting that we do another drunken commentary, and I know we haven't done one. It's been a long time since we've done a commentary altogether. We have one in the works, but we had sort of a little personnel shakeup at the KaijuCast HQ. So we are going to be revisiting some commentaries in the near future, and I definitely have a really great idea for a drunken commentary. So we will see how that goes. Moving along to JR, he says, Holy Kaiju, Batman! In spite of being one of the lesser Showa-era Godzilla movies, because of the stock footage and slow pacing in some scenes, Godzilla vs. Gigan is a fun film, and here are the reasons why. Number one, the debut of Gigan, a fan-favorite Godzilla villain, in spite of the fact that he looks like a nerd with glasses. Dude, those are cool glasses. I don't know what you're talking about. Number two, we get to see Angulus, Godzilla's little buddy, in action. Number three, King Ghidra, looking splendiferous as usual. And number four, in addition to playing Godzilla for the final time, we are treated to the great Haruo Nakajima acting in an out-of-kaiju costume scene as a priest. JR watched both the English and the Japanese language versions on the Kraken Blu-ray, and he has to say that he prefers the English dub, only because he loves the voices of Godzilla and Angulus as they are talking in quotation marks. Chad sends in his three-act review with The Good. Lots of nostalgia here, as this was one of the Showa films he grew up watching on TV. The human protagonists are especially fun in this unique entry. The gaggle of unique and interesting characters somehow reminds him of a Japanese Scooby-Doo. Tomoko is the martial arts badass of the bunch, while she is no Max Furiosa. Tomoko's role as a fearless protagonist was some much-needed gender progress in kaiju cinema. Hey, I completely agree with that. 
Heard being called a hard bitch by her hapless hippie cartoonist boyfriend somehow made it past the censors in the dubbed version he saw as a kid and made this film all the more special. The shocking bloodletting in the final battle scene with Gigan and Ghidra tag-teaming against Godzilla and Angulus also made this film stand out in his memory. The use of a Monsterland theme park was a lot of fun and was an excellent backdrop. Gigan was an awesome new monster with a chainsaw belly, red cyclops ray eye, and steel hook hands. We even got monster talk, depending on the version you were watching. You either saw cartoon word bubbles or heard the actual monsters talking over a very slowly scratched record. Thankfully, the record was not Judas Priest and there was no homicidal devilish subliminal messaging. Or were there? The bad. Stock footage was commonplace at the time due to budget issues, but Chad doesn't see that as a serious negative. The Godzilla suit was falling apart at that time. It's pretty noticeable, as were the terrible miniatures of Gigan and Ghidra in space flying to Earth. Those shots were excessively long, and Ghidra was flying with static wings. The aliens coming to colonize the Earth, just as the wealthy Earthlings had done to less fortunate Earthlings, had been done many times before, but frankly, it didn't harm the film, and they turned into cockroaches, so that's a plus. The takeaway here, slash in conclusion, it's a great film, lots of fun, and one of Chad's favorites. You can read the Monsterland theme park as an homage to the commercialization of the Godzilla series, and it was a fun backdrop that made the human action even more interesting. Come to think of it, the Godzilla Hotel in Shinjuku may owe a tribute to the Godzilla Tower from Godzilla vs. Gigan. Overall, a great and memorable standout in the series. Two bloody claws up. Adam will never understand why Godzilla vs. Gigan gets so much crap. It's not the best, but it's far from the worst, and easily one of the most entertaining entries in the series. Gigan is just freaking awesome, and having him team up with Ghidra was a great idea. The two made for a truly frightening and deadly pair. Adam also really loves how Angulus is clearly outmatched, yet he never gives up fighting by Godzilla's side. The human characters are funny and enjoyable to watch, with Gengo and his humorous black belt and karate girlfriend and hippie-looking friend. Bell-bottoms are worn, making this a true 70s Godzilla film. Lots of city destruction, even though some of it's stock footage and the monster fights, even though Godzilla is pretty weak and some of the fight scenes really dragged on and on. Adam also thinks that the alien invasion plot that Toho had been using by this time was a little overdone. Overall, Godzilla vs. Gigan is a pretty fun flick to watch if you don't mind all the stock footage and stock music. And a good directing job by Jun Fukuda. Nate, co-host of the Kaiju Vision radio podcast, thinks Godzilla vs. Gigan is one of the most underestimated films in the entire franchise. Yes, it was made in the 1970s, short after the Japanese film crash, so the budget was low and required the use of stock footage and music. It more than makes up for these shortcomings with incredible direction and, more importantly, a story full of hidden meaning. These were thanks to two men, director Jun Fukuda and screenwriter Shinichi Sekizawa. Fukuda proves once again that he is a master of visual storytelling. He moves the camera to create a sense of motion. Certain shots, most notably when Gigan and Ghidra advance toward the end of their attack on Tokyo, they have a great sense of movement. Nate's favorite, though, is when Gigan blocks Angulus from helping Godzilla, who is being assaulted by the Nebulon's laser cannon in their Godzilla Tower. If you pause that image and screenshot it, you'd have a comic book cover. That's appropriate, given that the human hero is a comic book artist and the entire film has a very manga vibe throughout it. What about the often criticized stock footage? It feels massaged in, as Nate's podcast partner Brian would say. 
Nate doesn't think it's overused, and it was all strategically placed to help create the illusion it's all from the same film. Fukuda had every intention of making a good film, but budget constraints required he make use of less expensive techniques. He did the best he could with what he had. Sekizawa, though, is the real unsung hero here. While his greatest triumph was 1961's Mothra, which redefined the kaiju genre, his script for this film ranks as one of his best. As is his trademark, it's deceptively simple. The alien cockroaches and World Children's Land are symbolic of U.S. corporations like McDonald's that were penetrating the Japanese market at the time. Once they were there, they were everywhere and couldn't be eliminated. In a way, it's a very clandestine invasion, just like in this film. Sekizawa also makes a meta-commentary on his own struggles as a writer and on Godzilla as a pop culture icon. Much like our artist hero, Sekizawa was running out of good ideas and purportedly said, there are no more monsters. The opening scene where the artist argues with the editor was probably Sekizawa blowing off some steam. Elsewhere, we see the Nebulans using the image of Godzilla for publicity and profit. They've simplified Godzilla so they can make him easier to market. They like the oversimplified creatures, Mamagon and Shukra, because their meanings were obvious. This could be seen as Sekizawa's commentary on studio executives who are simplifying Godzilla to make him more marketable. In fact, the facsimile of Godzilla, the Godzilla Tower, nearly destroys the real thing. It's only after the tower has been destroyed that the king of the monsters regains his strength and trounces the space monsters. Will the real Godzilla please stand up? Those are just a few of the overlooked strengths of this film. With a bit of research, Godzilla fans can discover even more about all of these films and how they express the Japanese national spirit. Mike Keller remembers when Godzilla vs. Gigan was first released to U.S. theaters as Godzilla on Monster Island. That was a strange title as Godzilla actually leaves Monster Island to take part in the main action, but he guesses Godzilla off Monster Island probably didn't have the same ring to it. The TV spot also suggested that Godzilla would be taking on a lot more monsters than just two, and it was released out of sequence. Godzilla vs. Megalon had already hit U.S. shores a few years before this one's release. Mike recently acquired a Hong Kong VCD, a video format popular in Asia, but as he just watched that a few months ago for this viewing, he pulled out the Columbia TriStar DVD and watched the Japanese version with English subtitles. Something he had noticed on this particular disc was that the infamous monster-talking scenes had removed the word bubbles from the Japanese version and just left the backward-masking sound effect. But checking the English-language version, he saw that the horse-voiced monster dialogue was still there. Mike thinks that it actually works better with this change. It's not as though the monsters were reciting Shakespeare, and it's pretty easy to figure out what is going on. Mike has never really liked the use of stock footage in this film. He finds it extremely jarring when Godzilla keeps changing shape from 68 to 64 to 65, and that dark tint on the daylight footage just isn't cutting it. Speaking of the 68 suit, it remains one of Mike's favorites, and he has to admit that it held up extremely well through the four films in which it was used. He thinks it proved more durable than any other version of the Godzilla suit and retained its aesthetic prowess. The same cannot be said for the Angulus suit, which here seems to have lost the ability to open its mouth for most of its screen appearance. King Ghidorah doesn't look so hot either. Again, we get the jarring effect when we jump from the lively King Ghidorah of the stock footage to the jacked-up on morphine ratty-ass critter we get this time. Ghidorah also seems much weaker than before. Remember when it took multiple monsters to subdue him? This time, he's defeated by two monsters, even with a tag-team partner of his own. Gigan, of course, looks just fine. 
Mike knows that Gigan is a cyborg, but is unclear as to whether he was a pre-existing biological creature that was enhanced with mechanics, or if the cockroaches designed him that way from the get-go. Half in a biology lab, half in a factory. Also, where is Gigan's forehead ray? Mike read an interview with Nakano where he stated that he decided to leave the ray out of the film as Gigan looked imposing enough without it. Wrong answer. Mike then adds a number of random thoughts about the film, some of which I actually found were entertaining enough to make it into the episode. Specifically, he notes that the monster battles in this one get pretty bloody, which is a sure sign that Subaraya was no longer on the scene, as this was something he never would have tolerated. The film kind of sort of started Angulus's role as Godzilla's right-hand monster, which kind of sort of lasted through the 70s. Someone should really ask Teruyushi Nakano about that. He also notes that this is the first time Angulus used his spiked back as a weapon, something that he would not repeat until Final Wars. He also only recently realized that the role Yuriko Hishimi, of Ultra 7 fame, was playing was intended to be Gengo's girlfriend. Mike always assumed that she was supposed to be his sister. Why? He doesn't know. Perhaps because of the other brother-sister pair in the film? Speaking of the human characters in general, Mike likes these people, especially the goofy corncob-wielding hippie, which is something he can't always say for these films. But it does seem like they are the only people inhabiting the city. Well, them and the stock footage crowds. And I have to agree with you, dude. For some reason, like when I first saw this movie, the dubbed version, I kind of assumed that they were brother and sister. Now that A, I know a little bit more about Japanese culture and B, uh, I've seen the Japanese version, I totally see them as a relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend, or uh, maybe even like soon to be husband and wife, because obviously she's got a decent job and she's trying to make sure he's going to get one. But that sort of like playfulness of their relationship didn't really seem too obvious in the English dub. It was, like I said, really only when I saw it subtitled and I could actually see and hear the actors performing their actual roles. That's when the light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh, I get it. After all is said and done, Mike is still not very clear how opening up a theme park played into the aliens' plans and why they went to the trouble of hiring a manga artist to design the new monsters unless they ultimately intended the park to be for, like, little cockroach children. Also, they very nonchalantly announced their intentions to destroy the monsters on Monster Island. Mike is pretty sure that would probably violate some sort of international law or two. Then again, so would human genocide. And finally, Mike is certain that there's untapped potential for Mamagon and Shukra out there. Cosplay, figures, manga, whatever, he would not be surprised to see something with these two at G-Fest in the future. I'd be surprised if someone hasn't already done Mamagon and Shukra. And uh, I know for a fact there was some sort of cast release. This is a company in Osaka that makes little super deep cut kaiju ornaments. I know ornaments is a weird word to use, but that's the word they use. Anyway, I know I saw something uh, at least Mamagon related from them. <laughs> anyway, moving along to Nick, who says, As a kid, Godzilla vs. Gigan seemed to always be a prime choice for him, and he can vividly remember many snow days, weekend afternoons, and sick days, popping in his Star Maker VHS to revel in this early 70s monster mash. Growing up, however, the film lost its charm on him, and he started realizing how much of it was cobbled together from earlier and far superior Toho science fiction epics, and that it was not worth his time. That being said, it wasn't until a recent watch with his five-year-old nephew and three-year-old niece, getting them hooked young, that his views started to soften and his nose, 
just ever so slightly, turned down. Godzilla vs. Gigan is neither a masterpiece nor a complete train wreck, it's just sort of a middle-of-the-road fun romp. As someone who works in media production, Nick is more fascinated by how the integration of the stock footage mostly works in the film's favor, the exception being moments from Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, where Godzilla's appearance is drastically different, and some other attempts at day-for-night color correction just didn't work in the slightest. The story itself is simplistic and plays like a greatest hits of features past, similar to the score. Director Jun Fukuda keeps the pace fast and action-packed, using the tools at his disposal with the budget allowed. Alas, gone are days of the big military rollouts with the generals and officers gathering in the field to discuss their defense strategy. Instead, the JSDF has now hunkered down in a single room, easily reached on foot from children's land, no less, with a commander simply barking orders into a microphone. Cue stock footage! Tokusatsu director Teriyoshi Nakano is able to work in some wonderful original shots of Gigan destroying Tokyo and earns his nickname of Mr. Explosion with plenty of fire and pyrotechnics. His staging of Godzilla's near loss by the doppelganger tower packs an emotional punch thanks in no small part to Hiro Nakajima's seasoned suit acting. For a brief moment, you actually think the big G is going to bite the big one, and his comeback at the 11th hour is exactly the kind of fist-pumping joy you'd expect to feel after seeing your hero be put through the ringer. Speaking of Nakajima, it should not go unsaid that this was his farewell performance, and he was an expert and professional, taking a beating from the future Heisei Godzilla Ken Satsuma, and clearly almost getting burned alive in the refinery set. Godzilla had a distinct personality in this film, and that was all thanks to the master. May he rest in peace. In conclusion, while this isn't a go-to film for Nick, it has enough to sustain his interest for the occasional viewing in the future, but who knows, with a newborn daughter, perhaps she'll be using her snow days, weekend afternoons, and sick days to repeatedly watch Godzilla vs. Gigan with her dad, and he'd be okay with that. Michael Deke writes to say, Godzilla vs. Gigan is a rather bland and mediocre entry into the franchise, At this point, Godzilla has officially gone from nuclear nightmare of nature to defender of the Earth, and naturally the movie has a comic book theme to go along with Godzilla's change towards being a superhero. The main human plot is just alright, with some semi-memorable characters. After viewing this movie with his roommate, Cooper, Takasuki seemed to be the character that stuck out the most due to his love of eating corn on the cob. He's surprised that he wasn't friends with Jiro Nakamura from Mothra vs. Godzilla. Yuriko Hishimi was also awesome as Gingo's karate-kicking girlfriend. What else would you expect from Ultra Garrison's own Anne Yuri? The aliens were just your typical world domination-seeking beings with convoluted plan to take the Earth over by using peace. Michael was also confused on why they didn't just simply kill the lead characters with, say, a bomb hidden in the cigarettes. These guys really need to take lessons from Metron Seijin. As for the monsters, Michael also didn't really get why they had to make Godzilla sound like a DJ scratching record when he was communicating with Angulus. Given that he was watching the Sony version that did not have the speech bubbles in the Japanese audio, this was even more confusing. The fights were very well choreographed, as it was a typical kaiju tag team match, with Angulus being the Robin to Godzilla's Batman, and Gigan being the Penguin to Ghidra's Joker. There was even enough blood to have Eiji Tsuburaya rolling in his grave, aside from Godzilla biting into Angulus's neck and raids again, as well as Ella King's decapitation via the eye slugger in the third episode of Ultra 7. Some cool moments included Gigan brutally hitting Godzilla on the forehead until he bleeds, as well as Ghidra being flipped around by Godzilla and Angulus. Enter John Cena meme here. 
Despite this, Ghidra adds very little to the fight, and that puppet that was used during his flying scenes was akin to a baby mobile. Overall, Godzilla vs. Gigan does not deserve its bad reputation, but it's not the best Godzilla flick by a good margin. 2.5 out of 5 stars. So actually, after reading some of these, I'm starting to realize that people think that the actual Japanese characters and the word bubbles appears in some sort of version that we can have access to. I'm telling you right now, we do not have access to that. <laughs> Godzilla vs. Gigan have never seen it with the word bubbles. I've only seen that in the trailer. So I'm not sure if, uh, if I bought the Blu-ray in Japan what it would look like if it would have the word bubbles or if it would just be the we see here. Interesting question. Maybe we'll have to figure that out someday. I wouldn't put it past me to buy the Japanese Blu-ray of Godzilla vs. Gigan just to see that. <laughs> anyway, moving along to John who says, What can you say about Godzilla vs. the stock footage, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. Gigan? It's a low-budget, nonsensical, poorly dubbed, enjoyable film the film has cockroach aliens from a black hole that are trying to invade the Earth in the guise of an amusement park, Children's Land, that sports a Godzilla tower, and dragged into the middle of it all is a job-hunting cartoonist as our protagonist. You can't really get more of a B-movie plot even if you tried. If John were to go through all the flaws he found in the film, we'd be here all day. Does the film hold up well? The short answer is no, but in sort of a so-bad-it's-fun kind of way. Would he recommend it to a kaiju newbie? John says no, because even though this is a really fun film, it's also a very clear example of what most people think an old giant monster movie is. Ben finds it fitting that this film was chosen to start this era of the Daikaiju discussion anew, with Shin Godzilla still fresh in our minds and Monster Planet just starting to take hold domestically, Godzilla vs. Gigan helps remind us of Godzilla's sheer range, both cinematically and as a character which Ben thinks is one of our beloved franchise's strengths as a whole. Having a breezy alien invasion plot, colorful characters, and wonderfully imaginative sets, this movie is fun, plain and simple. Stock footage woes aside, the film's climactic melee is exemplary of this fact. Save for the ringside announcer, it was a fight that had everything in common with professional wrestling, and it allowed our monstrous combatants to exhibit a real sense of character. Ben hopes that as Legendary further develops its upcoming Godzilla films along the lines of classic Showa films like Godzilla vs. Gigan, they continue to incorporate that era's magic, if only in part. And there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion submissions from the listeners. Thank you guys all for sending that in. Who's interested in knowing what next month's movie is? Me! Me! Yes, please! What is it? <laughs> You guys didn't know I was so good at doing the crowd sounds. Yeah, okay. I'm impressed. Well, uh, obviously, on the 17th of this month, we were treated to Netflix's Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, or Monster Planet, as we will be calling it here on the Kaiju Cast. Uh, it was released on Netflix worldwide on the 17th. I was very happy to be able to watch that from my apartment in the morning uh, when I was in Japan. That was awesome. And if you would like to submit your thoughts, questions, and reviews for Godzilla Monster Planet, please make sure to do so before February 23rd. Send in your homework via our handy-dandy contact form. And please do me a favor, because it is a brand new Godzilla movie, and I'm sure many people have many things to say about it. We're going to have a lot of people submitting their homework, so, you know, keep your thoughts kind of brief. Keep your thoughts concise. Stay on target. And uh, like I said, have that turned in by the 23rd to be part of our discussion episode. 
And then I think March might even be the new Pacific Rim movie, you know? So oh, wow. we'll see. I mean, Whoa. it's going to be, we're, we're at a weird point right now. Cause if I do it this way, we'll have Monster Planet for February's movie. So I thought we were doing the live episode in February though. Yeah, we are, but we'll do, oh, we'll, we'll do a discussion, a discussion as well. Too. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. That's not um, sure. Yeah. So, uh, we'll do Monster Planet for February and then we'll do Pacific Uprising, I think for March and then. If we decide to do Rampage, that's in April. So mm, yeah. we might have a yeah. few months before another Godzilla movie. Uh, but, you know, obviously we're doing Godzilla Monster Planet next. Uh, and that's pretty much where I'm going to leave that. You guys have already seen that, right? Yep. Not, not all the way through? I, I haven't watched it yet, actually. Because, oh. well, I was under the impression that it was a TV series. So I thought it was a big commitment. So until Gretchen told me today that it's just like two hour long thing. So I was like, oh, well, it, <laughs> I'm going to watch that. It <laughs> is then. technically one part of three. It's not a TV series. Yeah. It's just a three part movie series. Oh, that's one. maybe how I heard. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was going to It does. Okay, the so second that's part is going to come out in March. So it's like, oh, like we'll get the, the next installment. I don't know when we'll see it on Netflix, but it at okay. least comes out in Japan in March. Wow. Yeah. Oh, so Monster okay. Planet hmm. 2 or whatever it's called. Yeah. I'm interested. We'll see. Planet Monster Boogaloo. <laughs> yes. Hey, you guys want to cover some news real quick? Yeah, we do. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So, hey, speaking of Godzilla Monster Planet... You guys saw my beautiful band Presto that I picked up in Japan. Uh, that is a very beautiful figure. There are more figures coming out. Uh, when I was there, I saw a standard Bandai figure. I saw a large-scale Bandai figure. And then Bandai Premium is going to be releasing a massive $200 50-centimeter figure of wow. the big giant Godzilla. So... I'll have a link in the show notes to Bandai Premium's website. Last time I talked about Bandai Premium's website, it was when they were releasing the Frankenstein from Frankenstein Conquers the World and the Gargantuas. Mm. And I think at the time I maybe alluded to the fact that you should or could be a, a customer of theirs online. But unfortunately, they do not have an English portal yet that works for those figures. So if you are mm. interested in ordering things from Bandai Premium... My suggestion to you would be to use a third party like Zen Market, which is a company that I just started using. Um, also, you can use things like Bai or Shopping Mall Japan. It does require you to actually contact the company and say, this is a thing I would like to buy. Can you please see if you can acquire this for me? And then they act as that third party to buy it from them. Then you have to ship it from them to you. It's I'm probably making it sound more complicated than it actually is. It's because I'm trying to scare you off all of the good collectibles. What? Keep them for myself. Oh, no. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll have a link in the show notes to the Bandai Premium website where you can check out that figure and the uh, what I'm assuming is a tiny Japanese woman holding it. Because <laughs> it's a massive looking figure. <laughs> uh, also, Subaraya Pro has launched a brand new restaurant in Tokyo. <gasps> literally days after I left. Of course. <laughs> it's called Kaiju Musumi 6, and uh, it, it I'll have a link in the show notes to Sci-Fi Japan's website where they talk all about the restaurant. I'm going to have to add it to my list of places to check out because I don't know anything about it. 
but I will. Mm. I will, dear listeners. Uh, speaking of the Ultraman, Jeed the movie is coming out in Japan on March 10th. Yeah. Uh, now, I, I'll be honest, I have not caught up on Jeed. Oh, it's so in good. Fact, I can't, as, from what I've seen, it's just not better than, or not anywhere close to as good as Orb was, or as enjoyable as X was, so I'm hoping it gets better. It's fun. Is it fun? It's okay. It's really fun. All right, so actually what I'm probably going to have to do is go back and rewatch some of the older ones so that I can get caught up again, but I'm interested in checking it out. Uh, if you're interested in checking out the Ultraman Jeed movie, follow the link in the show notes to scifijapan.com to get all the details, at least that they have, about Ultraman Jeed, the movie. Jeed! Jeed! <laughs> so good. Uh, speaking of Ultraman movies, Ultraman Orb The Chronicle was broadcast earlier this month in Japan. Uh, also have a link in the show notes to Sci-Fi Japan's website where they have some coverage of that. Hey, and while we're talking about Ultraman, let's go ahead and bring up the Ultraman anime, which was finally announced for 2019, it's based off the new manga, the one we've been seeing translated here in the States by Viz Media. Uh, once again, Sci-Fi Japan is providing the goods with the link in the show notes you can check out. And then we're going to go ahead and move along to some kaiju-adjacent news. Mazinger Z Infinity is being released theatrically in the United States, and if you want to check and see if it's playing near you, you can go to fathomevents.com slash events slash Mazinger-Z-Infinity, or follow the link in the show notes. Uh, we are going to be going to see this on Monday, February 12th at 7 p.m. at the Cedar Hills Boulevard Century 16. I will be creating an event on Facebook for this, so I'll have a link in the show notes to that as well. If you're in Portland, you have the evening free, and you'd like to come watch a giant robot movie, let's do it. Yeah. Meet us at the theater and we will uh, maybe we'll chit chat for a little bit afterwards. Just kind of record like a little something that goes into the episode. Who knows? No guarantees. <laughs> I only have a couple of catastrophic events to talk about. The first of which is Monster Palooza, which is happening April 13th through the 15th in Pasadena, California at the Pasadena Convention Center. They are welcoming three guests from Japan. Ben Furuya, the actor who played Ultraman in 1966 and then played Amagi in 1967's Ultra 7. Uh, he also played some smaller Toho roles, and we just interviewed him. You can listen to the very last episode that we did, episode 223, to hear that interview. In addition to Furuya-san, they are also welcoming Godzilla suit actor Sutomo Kirigawa, who played Godzilla in most of the Millennium films. That would basically be every movie in the Millennium series except GMK. And if that wasn't enough, artist extraordinaire Shinji Nishikawa will be on hand at the convention, too. I have seen Nishikawa at a couple of events. I cannot wait to see what he is going to be bringing I will keep a spot open on my wall for uh, some of his amazing Shikisi board pieces. Anyway, that all happens uh, April 13th through the 15th. You can see a link to Monster Palooza's website in the show notes. I did have one more catastrophic event to talk about. If you've heard me talk about the Tokusatsu no DNA exhibit or the DNA of Tokusatsu, this is basically a newer, more recent exhibit like what we saw in the documentary where they have Godzilla suits and props on display. I think it was last seen on Kyushu, the southernmost large island of Japan. 
And that was like uh, around the end of last year, like, like October. Now it's going to be on display again, this time in Akashi City, which is very close to Osaka in Kyoto. If you're traveling to Japan, the exhibit opens on July 14th and runs through September 2nd. So make sure you check the links in the show notes to get some information on this, because if you're traveling to Japan and looking for a good time to go, I would absolutely suggest going while this is on display at the Akashi Municipal Cultural Museum. There have been a ton of photos posted from this exhibit online, and they look just amazing. So I'll have a link in the show notes to the Tokusatsu DNA Facebook page, because their actual regular website has not been updated yet. Uh, Let's go ahead and move along to some housekeeping. We have talked about some very important things here tonight. (laughs) Uh, Number one, I'll just go ahead and say we are officially launching the KaijuCast Facebook community. That is, uh, we're going to give it a shot. It's called the Kaiju Core. We've already had a couple people ask if they can become members. So we're going to go ahead and accept those memberships. And hopefully uh, you can join that group and just, we can talk about whatever we want there. This you know, we don't have, I don't think we don't have to keep it kaiju related, right? No, I mean, I wouldn't think so. I mean, I think it's just an opportunity for everybody that listens to the show to get together and chat about whatever comes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we definitely want a place where we can also, you know, the people that have been on the show can also participate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, you know, it's just a place for everyone that just a chill joint, man. It's a safe yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah. Safe space. <laughs> Actually, you know what? We could maybe try and do at some point. I'm not promising this because I don't know what the logistics are going to be. But I used a service called Rabbit recently to watch something with other people online. So maybe we could do that every once in a while. Hop on, throw yeah. a movie on Rabbit oh, and have people cool. join. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's going to work out or not. But, you know, just an idea. I like doing new things. So let's maybe do some new stuff. Uh, there was an anime on. site that did that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was called Anime Toki or Doki Doki. And they would show films and they would feed, basically, their feed would say live and they, everybody could watch films. Oh, very cool. It was cool. Super cool. Well, you um, watch with us. Yeah, watch along. You can read along in your book. You'll know it's time to press play on your DVD player. Just kidding. You don't actually have to do that. It's all streamed through uh, through a web browser, I think. Anyway... Uh, so that's happening. We're going to be hopefully seeing you join because it's going to be so much fun, you guys. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, guys. I can only assume. One could only assume. So, Well, if we're involved, come on. Exactly, right? right? How so, can it not be? Moving along to the next housekeeping item, we now have a date for the emergency broadcast. We will be doing this a little bit later this year because I was in Japan last week. And I really want to have enough time to form a really good live show. So... Uh, the emergency broadcast is set for February 25th, and uh, it's we're going to do the same thing we normally do, where probably at about 1 o'clock I start sort of a live stream of music, and then around 2 o'clock, that's when we start the program. And it'll most likely be a three-ish hour program like it normally is. Oh, these guys have seen something. Oh, yeah, we have. You guys have seen the prizes. So yeah. when I was in Japan, yeah. mm-hmm. which hopefully you'll hear about in the other episode... Uh, I bought a whole bunch of stuff at the official Godzilla store and from the Banpresto lottery from 
Godzilla monster planet. So it's all sitting on a table right behind Gretchen right now. It's really cool. We're going to divvy all that stuff up into five prize packs. And, uh, ooh, you know what we should probably do again, which was a big hit a couple of years ago when we did it? The a drawings. Drawing. Yes. yes. So we'll do some drawings. I still have my pig bond drawing box. Oh, yeah? So you want to can... use it again? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so keep an eye out for information on that because we don't have all the details hammered out just yet, but that will happen pretty soon. We'll launch that uh, that giveaway pretty fast. Well, Sweet. I don't want to take away from the last giveaways because you guys, you know, th- there's always been pretty cool stuff involved. But just looking at the stuff sitting over at the table here, it's just kind of awesome. But it's <laughs> just like this, it. like fresh. From Japan. I forgot to right. catalog it all before you guys yeah. came over. Yeah. <laughs> this little kaiju prize. Uh, you can still smell cool the bonito flakes. <laughs> Gross. Uh, also, uh, another thing I wanted to announce formally on the podcast, because I always, always, always want to give listeners the priority when this kind of thing happens. I am officially announcing the 2019 Fanvasion is going to be planned soon. So Ooh, if you are yeah. interested in taking part in that, being part of the Kaiju Fanvasion, there is a fee involved. There's definitely some time where we go through some questions and make sure that everybody is ready to go over. It's a long process. Clancy, you can probably speak to it just as well as I can. Uh, like we started talking about that just about a year before before yeah. we went, right? And then... It sort of ramps up six months before the process. I'm thinking about shifting the focus from Super Festival as far as the time period and shifting it to Wonder Festival. Yeah, that would be cool. Which is like a model kit. Kyle, for the listeners that aren't familiar, what is Fanvasion? (laughs) Fanvasion, that's where uh, I basically take a group of listeners over to Japan and show them around some cool stuff. And we go shopping and we see things you just can't see anywhere else aside from Japan. Yes. Uh, I believe Clancy had an okay time last year when we went. I'm kind of just sitting here going, am I allowed to go again? (laughs) I think you're allowed to go. I mean, basically, I mean, as much as I loved the group that was there last year, I can't imagine we're going to have exactly the same people signing up for this. But so we want to keep it a small group, right? Like 10 10 people is the maximum because I don't really want to have to keep track of more than 10 people. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I I turn into a mother hen, you know, and we're walking around the train station. I'll be like, turn around. All of a sudden I'll be like, one, two, three, Everybody four, have five, a buddy. six, seven. Okay, let's go. I mean, I honestly had to keep reminding myself that Kyle was taking care of that because I get in that same mode and I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're getting too far away from the group now. <laughs> oh, well, I'll let Kyle worry about that if that guy gets lost. Yeah, it's not yeah, yeah. my problem. <laughs> your deal. I didn't your get deal. <laughs> anyway, so that's on deck for 2019. I'm thinking maybe February is the golden month for us, but I'm not oh, really yeah. sure. There's lots of opportunities and lots of options to go to Japan. But I like to say if we go at this point and like pinpoint something like Winter Festival, Super Festival, if they were having a special something or other, I would not do it for Ultraman Festival because that happens in July and August. No, it's very hot there. And I care about you guys, listeners. <laughs> I care. It's really humid and half the places don't have air conditioning. Well, and Just saying. I mean, some of our 
plenty of our listeners are in other states, but all of us that are living in the Northwest are a bunch of wusses. We don't like heat. So, yeah, we, we can't handle it. We can't handle the heat. I'm from Chicago it. and it's nasty in the summer. I can't even handle that anymore. If yeah. we're down here 20 plus years, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Not for a vacation. All right. So anyway, so those are the housekeeping things I wanted to cover with you guys. Uh, thank you guys all for being here as part of this episode. Godzilla versus Gigan. Who thought we were going to talk about this one again so soon? Because it's going to be a long time before we cover this movie again, you guys. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to seeing how this next round of Daikaiju discussions after we're finished with this year sort of like remorphs into this different beast that it's going to be. Actually, one more housekeeping thing. If you are a web-savvy listener and you really like to get into some uh, minutiae, we are working on a wiki, and I'm officially putting the call out for volunteers. It's pretty simple work. It's just one of those things where I'm going to need to be able to rely on some people to help me populate some movie pages, some actor pages, some stuff like that. We're essentially creating a wiki of helpful information to the kaiju cast. <laughs> like, so this is not a wiki built for the general public. This is basically when we launch this new discussion format, all of the pages of these movies are going to sort of follow the same format as we do them. So it's going to be a multi-faceted creation program, essentially. We're going to do a web thing. We're going to do the podcast thing. Who knows what else? But this is one of those things that I'm talking about. If I'm like, if you've liked what we've done in the past, please keep your eye on us. <laughs> uh, because we are going to continue to do more awesome stuff. And uh, if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast program, make sure you point your web browser to KaijuCast.com, where you can see everything that we are talking about. Every episode of the KaijuCast is on there. Every Daikaiju discussion, including the schedule of movies throughout the rest of the year. Links to our friends' websites, links to our own social media websites. It's all there. Just point your web browser there and just... Let yourself enjoy the awesomeness of the KaijuCast website that has not been visually updated in so many years. <laughs> That's coming eventually. That is going to be like something I want to do. We're going to close out this episode with a song called Megaloman from a band called Battle Roar. And this was requested by Damien. We will see you next month. Until then, Jamata.
Word. I thought we were going to do the number thing. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. That's right. Thank you for the reminder. So this will go at the end. So uh, you guys, uh, we never really talked about how many Geigen figures I have, but mm. I went through oh, and, and counted them all. So uh, let's go ahead and take some guesses. How many figures do you uh, think I have? I'm guessing 25. Okay. 13. Okay. Uh, 42. Ooh. Gretchen is actually <laughs> the closest. Oh. I only have 14 Geigen <gasps> figures. Wow, that's it? I have, I see, I, here's what I, my guess was based on. I love the Flash, so I have, and same with, I love the creature from the Black Lagoon. Both of those, I have at least 25 figures of. So I thought, Geigen, you're going to have at least 25. But Although, if, you, if you compare it to the other ka- kaiju in my collection, that's true. It's it still is huge excessive. Amount. And that's the thing is that you have such, when it comes to Godzilla and well, kaiju, I guess you should say, there's so many different ones mm-hmm. that your collection is huge because you have all the different ones. Whereas when you look at the Flash, I like the Flash. And so I buy <laughs> the Flash figures. You don't have and 32 do have, Gorilla Grodd figures? No, but I have probably five. But sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I guess if I compare it to that, you know, and then I've got, you know, a handful of the other um, villains. But and then Creature from Black Lagoon, though, it's like, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. maybe, you know, there's a ton three of three Julie, you know, it's Julie. Oh, my gosh. Julie Adams. Julie Adams. Thank you. Oh my God. I was like, I wanted to say Julie Davis for some reason. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say Julie Newmar because right. I would love to oh, see Julie Newmar yeah. versus the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so there okay. you go. 14, yeah. 14 Geigen figures in my collection. It's pretty good. Winner, winner. I feel like that's pretty much like the only thing that could top any singular suit figures. Did you here. count just Geigen or did you count the Godzilla Tower since it's. No, I just just counted Geigen alone. Yeah, okay. Just checking. Ready? So like flying Geigen, black Geigen, green Geigen. Over there, there's a Final Wars Geigen, the smaller Final Wars Geigen, a regular Bandai Geigen. Uh, Over here, we have X Plus Geigen. There's a little teeny tiny Geigen down there. There's the... uh, the diecast Geigen from the seventies over here. I've got two more Geigen figures over there. It's just, there's a lot of Geigen figures, but not 40 something. <laughs> yeah. Yet. He's still Yet. pretty well represented. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I like to think Geigen, Geigen is probably, Geigen is almost as well represented as just Godzilla. Right. Who would you say is number two? Is it Geigen for as far as most of one character? Ooh, or yikes. Mothra? No, mm. well, Mothra. I probably have a, have a nice handful of Mothra figures. You know, uh, yeah. I don't know. I'd say like, probably Burning Godzilla. I have a handful of those. You know, I, I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five Burning Godzilla figures, six Godz- Burning Godzilla figures just right there. Hmm. Yeah, maybe Burning Godzilla. I have a lot of Gomez. Yeah, I was noticing that one. Yeah, so. I like yeah. Gomez. You know, he's one of those creatures that, like, whenever I see one, I feel like I should get it. You know, yeah, because I have a Gomez collection. And of course, Varan's popping up quite a bit. Not right. as much as I'd like him to. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely gonna suggest Varan for a uh, Bandai premium figure. And I was thinking, Gamera. Do you have more Gameras probably than? Geigens or nah, I don't think so. I mean, I have like a classic Gamera. I have a several new Gameras, but they don't think it definitely is not over. F- f- what did I say? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, I definitely don't have more than fourteen Gameras. Anyway, 
That's how you just peter out an episode. <laughs> That's right.